Welcome to the Expat Podcast, the place to learn all the secrets that'll make your life abroad more rewarding. And now your host, Bill Angelos. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Expat Podcast. I have Dan Zarin with me on this episode. He's the co-creator of My Voices Have Tourette's, a comedy show, and co-owner of The Secret Cellar, a comedy club in Iceland. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure to have you on the show. When I was doing research for the show for you, Dan, I found a number of different and interesting things about you. You have several different videos with you jamming out on a guitar, singing opera, speaking about mental health, and a few others of you performing comedy. Can you fill in the details and tell us more about yourself and how you ended up in Iceland? Wow. Okay. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so, by the way, uh, if, if my if my voice cracks during this, I promise you I, I'm not going through puberty at age 30. I just have Tourette's syndrome. Always have to start off with that. Uh, but yeah, so basically I, yeah, I start, I started off, uh, I was going to, a, uh, to Western Michigan university in, uh, well, Michigan, uh, for, uh, for opera. And I just, I just, it, it wasn't, I did it for three years and it just wasn't exactly for me. So I moved out to LA, uh, because my dream was like when I was from when I was a kid, my dream was always to, to be a rock star and travel the world in, in rock bands. So I moved out to LA to go to Musicians Institute for guitar, and while I was there, I ended up uh, meeting uh, meeting an Icelandic woman who I uh, actually ended up marrying, and uh, we moved out to Iceland together after realizing that we needed a bit of a break from the Los Angeles scene for a bit. Uh, so we we decided that well, we'd go to Iceland for just one year, try it out. I'd never lived outside of America before. She was from here. I was so we thought we'd try it out, and then after about six months, I just completely fell in love with this country. And the, I mean, everything changed. I I started uh, doing stand up comedy shortly after I moved here, and that just completely took over my life. And I haven't looked back. Wow, that's uh, quite the answer to my question. Uh, there's a lot to go over there. So first, let's talk about your time in Los Angeles, if you don't mind. Absolutely. You were out there for music. Mm-hmm. Uh, what influenced you musically? Um, so my, I mean, my biggest, my biggest influences, I would say, would be uh, like uh, '70s rock, progressive rock, and metal music. Um, but I, one thing that became very clear when I was living in LA is I was trying to listen to just as much as I possibly could because I feel like if you're writing music or or you're working on music or whatever you're doing musically. It's good to have have influences from as much as possible because uh, I was finding that when I was just listening to one style of music, that's all I was writing. But when I listened to everything, then it was becoming more more unique to my my actual style and feel and everything. So it 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 kind of became. But I, I I would say it was mostly rock that I was performing. I love rock. I'm a huge fan of all the rock from the 90s, Tool, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, too many more to name. Um, oh, yeah. So you met a woman, you got married, and you moved to Iceland and started doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Was that something that you'd been planning before, or did you just decide, I'm going to do stand-up? <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of wild, because, I, I mean, 
I always had in the back of my mind since I was a kid uh, that I wanted to try it. I didn't know that I necessarily wanted it to be a career because I wanted to be a musician uh, first and foremost. And uh, so I, I never really saw it as being something that I could, could do for a living. But but I, I just uh, so I, I, I mean, I had worked on a, a couple of jokes. It wasn't anything special or anything. And then when I moved to Iceland, I, I mean, I just found that well, like learning a new language and seeing a new culture and, and all this stuff, it, it started opening my eyes to a whole level of funny that I wasn't really thinking about before. And then one night uh, at the bar I was working at at the time, uh, they used to have a comedy night once a month. And it just happened to be that one night I was working uh, on, on one of those nights and I asked my my manager, I was like, hey, do you, do you mind if I ask the host if I can do five minutes? And he said, he said, go for it. And uh, I I tried it out. I thought I think I did like two and a half minutes. And I I I just I mean, it was so much fun. I, I just I felt so natural on stage. It just felt like something that that I I, I felt I could keep doing. And after I did the the performance, uh the host came up to me and was telling me, Hey, there's a, there's a, uh, another mic that's happening on Mondays out here at a bar called Geikaden. Uh, you should, you should come in and, and do a, another set there. You should keep doing this. And so I, I did, I, I went to that other club. I, I, uh, club, it's a bar. I, I went, I went over there and I, I did a set and, and, and again, the host of that show said, Hey, come back next week, try it out again. And so I just basically, whenever I had a Monday off, I was just going to the to to this bar every single chance I could, and I uh, I ended up uh, well, like shortly into doing stand up. I saw started uh, opening up and talking about having Tourette syndrome, and there was that kind of brought a whole new level to it because I mean until then I saw I was just you know thinking oh I could just write jokes it'll be fine I kind of look like Jesus everyone calls me that I can throw in some jokes like that. But but the moment the moment I started talking about Tourette syndrome, which was something that I had struggled with immensely throughout my life, and and uh, it led to so many bad bad times in my life, just being able to talk about it comedically and being open to a whole room of people, it was like it started feeling like I wasn't exactly using comedy just to make people laugh, but but I was using comedy to uh, as kind of like a, a therapy session for myself as well. And it ended up just being something that I just fell in love with. And I, I can't, at this point, I can't even see myself going back to music uh, as, as a, you know, full on career. And that's what I wanted to do my whole life. It's kind of uh, amazing. That's pretty great when something like that can happen and you realize that what you were doing is not the best thing for you. And right. What you are doing is your new passion. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I do, I will say though, that, one thing that's kind of fascinating is that when I was in LA and I've, I've been talking to several of my friends about this because when I, when I was in LA, I mean, I was learning guitar, but they were also teaching me music marketing. So that, that was another thing I was learning. And I was, I was teaching myself graphic design. I was trying to uh, learn from a, a friend of mine, how to do audio engineering. So I was, I was basically learning everything that I would have to do if I was a musician, just releasing music on my own and performing on my own and not one bit of that helped me with music, not one bit. But the moment I, I started the show, my voices have Tourette's 
every single thing I learned in LA for music completely helped me with, with marketing the show and promoting it and getting the name out there. And I like after using everything that I've learned, not only have I learned how to uh, get the show going and get, 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 you know, a lot of opportunities from it. Uh, but I also learned a lot of skills that have kind of uh, over the years been able to get me other work as well. I, I mean, I've used the graphic design to design things for other people. I've designed clothing and uh, I use the audio engineering to uh, mix and master music for a few friends. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I would kind of use this as an opportunity to say if anyone's listening in who is regardless of what you're doing, do some experimenting, like learn, learn every aspect of, of the things that would help you with what you're doing. Cause you never know what you'll end up uh, finding a huge passion for. I completely agree. It seems like stuff I learned years ago that was just completely unrelated to anything I should be doing is stuff that I'm able to use today. It's amazing how stuff you don't think will help can turn out to be so important to what you will do later on in life. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I do. Th one thing that was kind of fun, was uh so i i mean i did a podcast for three years and i interviewed people in the in the entertainment industry and uh after interviewing i mean like so, several of my i mean my heroes like i interviewed steve Vai, a uh, big guitar player uh marty friedman who played in megadeth and uh just the other just uh like a week ago uh bill burr actually came and performed at the secret cellar uh here in iceland uh for three nights and all of my friends were getting so starstruck. They were just like, uh, Bill, Bill, can I, can I get a, a, a selfie with you? And then I go there and I'm just like, Hey man, what's up? How's it going? <laughs> That's great. Cause I'm just, cause I just got, I mean, and that, that it, it, I think it does come from my experiences of, of just, you know, trying something new, just interviewing people. Cause when you've, I mean, when you've interviewed, it doesn't even matter if they're celebrities, when you've interviewed like, you know, a hundred, 200 people, everyone just becomes a person to you they don't become well like you don't have to get starstruck you can just go up to them and talk to them and it makes everything so much smoother and easier yeah uh, i suppose it can but then we all have our own weaknesses others of us like myself are introverts and talking to other people can be more difficult than if i was an extrovert yeah I mean, I'll be honest. If I'm if I if I were to meet Eddie Murphy or Dana Carvey, I'd definitely piss my pants and be starstruck. But <laughs> so, are those two people who have influenced your comedy, or who was your biggest uh, comedic influence? Oh man, I yeah, Dana Carvey has. I mean, Dana Carvey has really been uh, my favorite for a long time. Uh, the, there's just stuff that I just. Uh, I, I just love about about it's not not even just his comedy, but the way he presents the comedy, the way that he uses uh, accents or impressions into things. Uh, I just love the way that he did that. And I mean, Eddie Murphy is is I mean, he's one of the legends. And and, uh, you know, with with watching him when I was a kid, just seeing the the flow that he had, you know, like he would walk all across the stage. Use he would use the whole stage as as, you know like to express everything in the jokes. Uh, I, I've, I've also been, uh, I mean, the ones I've been loving a lot lately, uh, I'm a huge fan of Eliza Schlesinger uh, and uh, Steve Hughes from Australia. He's, he's incredible. Um, I mean, Bill Burr is, is very, very good. Um, but I kind I like to try to, it's like music. I, I like to try to find influence 
in as many comedians as possible because I just I don't want to end up copying anyone. I don't want to end up getting to that that point where I do a joke or I do a set and everything is based on the flow of another person. So I, I uh but I I mean and and of course I can never listen to enough George Carlin, especially not with the way the world is today. He is just so uh, he helps. He definitely was so good at helping people get through the tough times. I agree. George Carlin is one of the legends. It's uh, a shame that he's no longer with us. Oh, uh, he would he would be perfect in today's world. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Him and my other favorite is uh, Bill Hicks. Oh yeah, he's also very timely with his jokes, especially with the Iraq War. Now, I'm talking about the first Iraq war because he's been dead for something like 20 or 25 years now. You're just talking about listening to someone and not having your act based on them entirely. Right. So some time ago, maybe about 20 years ago, when I was in the military, I was thinking, hey, I'm kind of a funny guy. I should write some material. Everything I was writing sounded like Carlin, Hicks, or Dennis Leary, which is one of just many reasons why I'm not a comedian now. I couldn't think of how to separate my comedy from them. Even though it was my story, my observations, everything I wrote just seems like it was too much like them rather than my own work. How do you get past that when you're writing your own to make it your own? Well, you know, it's it actually, uh, th- this is an excellent question because I, I love, uh, I mean, I've actually had this thought recently because I think the biggest thing is just, like the the biggest thing is to find well like what topics or what style of comedy really really not just not just works for you but yeah gets you to speak from the heart well like what what are the topics that if 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 you were just to like these are things that you could talk about for hours like you could just talk about for days those are the topics you should be talking about like for example i mean i i i like I've seen, I mean, you know, when you, when you're, you know, at a club, you know, every day of the, of the week watching comedians every day, you've seen, I I've seen so many styles. I've seen people trying out things. And I mean, I've, I've seen so many comedians that are trying to be the edgy comedian. I've seen so many comedians that are trying to just, you know, talk about, uh, you know, sex and stuff like that. But I, the ones that really stick out to me are the ones that aren't talking about that stuff because, uh, well, like I have, a, I have a friend, for example, who performs in my show and, and before he performed in the show, uh, like I I've watched him since the first day he did stand up, and, uh, he was really struggling to get the crowd. He was really struggling. And then one day we were talking about the fact that, that he said he was diagnosed with Asperger syndrome. And I, I said to him, I was like, have you ever thought about tr- talking about that in your standup? Uh, and he said, he said, no, because, you know, nothing ever seemed funny to him about it. And then, and I said, well, you know, I mean, this is something that's, that, you know, you can talk about from the heart because you experience this every day of your life. So I said, you know, uh, I, I mean, even if you don't do it on stage, like, you know, maybe write down a couple things and at least like we can talk about it. I, I think it'd be cool to hear you do that. And as soon as he did, I mean, holy crap, this guy just blossomed his stand he he started getting like the most applause breaks of any of the comedians he just i mean he blew everyone away and it was because like not not only was he was he hilarious and still is but it was the fact that that i mean he just be, 
everything was so was so personal. And I, th- I think that's why one of the reasons that I love talking about Tourette syndrome in in my stand up, and why I love talking about the fact that people think I look like Jesus, or the the fact that that Icelanders all think I'm from Spain. Uh, I mean, these are things that I talk about in my stand up because these are things that are so personal to me that it's it's actually it actually becomes really difficult for me to to copy anyone's uh, styles or 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 flow or any of that stuff. Because it's just the way that I am. It's just this is just stuff about me, and I'm I'm not even really lying about a lot of it. I'm just this is stuff that really happened to me. This is how it how it actually went down, and I think that's how people end up finding their own their own unique style is is breaking out of talking about the stuff that everyone's talking about and finding something that they're actually truly passionate about. Yeah, I think that for me, when I hear somebody I can connect with when I can actually get to know them through their story, when they open up to you with with another level of vulnerability, it it makes it more attractive. Since they're able to talk about something specific to them, it makes it easier to connect with them. And as you said, since everyone is talking about sex or drugs, and if that's not what you are, then I don't think it's going to connect with people as much as something like talking about Asperger's or Tourette's or something else that you are dealing with yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and I mean the thing is that this does, and this doesn't mean you can't talk about the topics that people are talking about. I mean, I have like I in my in my sets, I talk about about the fact that uh, one of the ticks that I have from Tourette syndrome is my left hand shakes a lot, and I have like like quite a it's like I have a, a tremor in my hand, and uh, so I would talk about the fact that like uh, well, with Tourette syndrome, it's common for people to try to suppress their ticks. Like and try to get them to stop happening by by tensing muscles and well, like doing things like that, but that I mean it really causes a lot of pain. So I thought I'd just put my hand in my pocket, and I discovered one day well, while I was walking down the side walking on the sidewalk, and my hand was shaking in my pocket, and I realized that doesn't really look that good. I should probably take my hand out of my pocket, and that's I mean that is totally a masturbation joke, but at the same time. That that actually happened to me, and I think I think I think the reason why certain topics get talked about a lot is because they're they're very personal topics, and I mean, well, like un- unless you're one of those people that's you know saving yourself for marriage, everyone has has gone through these you know these topics. Everyone's been through this stuff, so it's relatable to everyone. And I I think sometimes that's why talking about Tourette syndrome and these disorders and syndromes that we talk about. It is a little tough at times, and we have to figure out how we can talk about them to get everyone to get it, because not everyone can relate to it. And I think that's that's another thing about comedy that makes it, well, I, I mean, honestly, a lot of fun, but it, it can make it difficult. Honestly, your Tourette's is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show. Mm-hmm. I grew up having uh, ADD, and I was put on medication for it sometime when I was in first or second grade. Uh, one of the things that happened was I developed tics of my own. Okay. Some seem like obsessive compulsive and others are like throat sounds. I was doing it without even being aware of it. And my parents would ask me, why are you making that noise? Stop it. It was, uh, it was hard to stop doing it. It was something that just became part of me and just became natural. And it was, it was hard to fight it. Some of them are still a thing for me to this day. Right. Well, I think that... I mean, the thing about about uh, or about Tourette syndrome, and uh, this has been my favorite description of it ever. And, and uh, I mean, I 
I don't hate to word it like this anymore because it's just becoming ridiculous. This didn't come from a medical professional because none of them seem to know a lot about Tourette's. But uh, my friend Elva, who I start, who I initially started the show with, she also has Tourette's syndrome, and we were having a conversation one day about it, and she made a really good point. She said that, I mean, from her experiences, Tourette's syndrome seems more like a form of OCD, and it it kind of fits with uh, well with a uh, a theory that I have because um, I I like to describe Tourette's as being two different kinds of tics. You've got uh, subconscious tics, which are the ones that you're not aware of when they're, I mean, you're aware of when they're happening, but you're not aware of them starting. They just simply happen. Um, and then there's the conscious tics that are actually, that do actually seem a lot like OCD because they're, uh, some of my tics that I have, for example, uh, I technically could try not to do them, but if I don't do them, I feel incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, so, like, if I were to try to stop my hand from shaking, for example, my my wrist and my arm would start to hurt, and I would start to feel a, a, a very, very uncomfortable feeling in my arm. And as soon as I start shaking my hand, my, like, all of that goes away. And it's So, for you, your choice really is physical pain from not doing it or the annoyance that you just can't control. Yeah, but but I mean, to, to be fair, you know, you know, I I could either have a lot of pain in my in my arm or make people laugh at it, looking like I'm masturbating while I'm walking down the street. I mean, it's just it to me. I choose the comedy. Yeah. And no, I I and I I I don't know. I I you know there. I mean, there are ticks that that I do. You know, I don't talk about on stage that I have just because. I mean, they're not funny. I haven't been able to find anything humorous about them. Uh, Or some of them are funny, but they don't translate well in in stand-up. But I think that at this point, the the thing that I try to encourage people with Tourette's uh, to really think about is what is like what is really what are you really suffering from? Well, like I mean, obviously some some ticks. uh, And again, this does not apply to everyone. Uh, some ticks for people are very are very dangerous, and uh, and those do require require you know medical attention. But uh, uh, but at the same time, you know, for for a lot of us with Tourette syndrome, where it's not like it's not causing us, uh, you know, the need to go to the hospital, it's kind of one of those things where is it is it more of an annoyance or is it actually causing damage? If it's just an annoyance. Then the, th- the thing is to figure out why is it really that bad? Well, like, like with with uh, with me, I mean, my voice cracking, for example, it's it's more of an annoyance. It's not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, be affected by it. I'm not gonna die tomorrow because my my voice cracks. You know, I'm not gonna die because I sound like a dog squeaky toy. I, uh, you know, at, at so I just decided I thought that my best route is just tell everyone. Just talk about it. If some someone go like I've had people say, "Hey, uh, you know why? Well, why do you sound so stupid right now?" And I'm just like, "Well, I have Tourette syndrome." And they go, "Oh, oh, I'm so sorry." And I'm like, "No, no, no, it's all right. Do you want do you want to learn about Tourette syndrome? Do you want me to tell you a bit about it and what what I go through?" And no, I mean every time they're just like, "Yes, actually, I don't know anything about it other than people shouting out words." So the thing is that if if you find a way to to make yourself comfortable with whatever it is that you have, nothing else really matters because, I mean, you may meet someone and then never see them again, or you may meet someone and see them all the time, 
But if you feel comfortable about it, then what they think doesn't matter. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good point. 20 years ago when I was in the military, it was clear I, I had a supervisor who also had Tourette's. Okay. And he never said anything about it that I'm aware of. Uh, he made faces. He turned his head to weird angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did this shoulder shrug thing. He was a cool boss. He was a great boss. I can't. I really can't say enough good things about him. Uh, I just don't want to name him for obvious privacy reasons. Of course. Now, do you think it's easier to talk about uh, Tourette's or or things like it, or that it's more accepted than it would have been, say, 20 years ago when I was in the military? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, I there's there's a lot of things that I think are easier to talk about nowadays. I mean, with and that's actually, I mean, the main reason I wanted to, you know, we wanted to do the show was to normalize the stuff stuff and and get people to feel completely safe with talking about whatever whatever it is they want to you know be open about and i mean like like uh i don't know when the, i don't know when this is going to air but like last night actually i mean i'm 30 years old and last night was the first time in my life that i actually opened up publicly about being bisexual and uh i i mean for my whole life it, it was never something i felt like was uh, like i'd be accepted for it and no one would be okay with me saying it but now it's just like i mean seriously with the way the world is is now i mean you know i mean there are some countries that you know are still very very archaic in terms of this stuff but i mean the way that everyone you know is more accepting today i didn't really feel like it was as big of a deal for me to to tell people about that because i knew that if like the people that wouldn't be okay with it i don't really i don't really care to talk to them anyway you know, it's, it's just every, everyone should be accepted for who they are. They should be accepted for what they have, because at the end of the day, we're all just people. That's, that's, that's all we are. So there's no reason to really hate someone just because they have something. I completely agree. Uh, 25 years ago when I was in high school, being gay was, was something. It was like, oh, you're gay. Oh, no way. Obviously we all knew gay people. Uh, it just none of them were out of the closet. They were all, you know, keeping it a secret. It was a different time. We had this one guy at my school. He would sometimes wear a dress to school because he was out and he wanted everyone to know about it. And I think he also enjoyed just shocking people. This was the Marilyn Manson time. Uh, it was it was the the mid nineties. He was the minority though. He was the only gay person that I knew of at my school. And I think that if if I was in high school now it would be much more common yeah. that I'd know a lot more gay people because that's the culture we have now. It's accepted now. There isn't quite the, the stigma that there was 25 years ago. I mean, of course there, there, I mean, there are still moments that I think, you know, ah, as a, I mean, just in general, like there, are of course still struggles. I mean, my, like my friend Stepnit, for example, who performs regularly in my show, he, I mean, he's done, uh, he's done stand up in drag you know, when he st- started doing the show, uh, we had him, uh, like he would perform in a dress. And I mean, uh, one thing I love about, about him doing that, first of all, I mean, I mean, he pulls it off, but like he, he certainly does. And, uh, but the thing was that I actually, at one point asked him to stop doing it. And I felt, I felt so bad asking him to stop doing it because I love seeing him do that because it's just him being himself, you know, and, and just being who he is and not caring what anyone else thinks. But I was really nervous that that as the show was getting more and more popular, I didn't want anyone associating, uh, 
being, you know, being gay or being bisexual or any of these things. I didn't want any of that being associated with being a disorder because our, I mean, our, the theme of our show is these are the disorders and syndromes that we have. And, uh, as, as much as I know that, that most people would see the difference, there are people that do look at this stuff as a disorder and I don't want, I just, I I don't want to have our show being, you know, known as something that's promoting something stupid like that. So it, it, there's always going to be someone who's going to make a comparison, even when it shouldn't even be there. Yeah. So with America versus Iceland, how do you think the acceptance is for things like acceptance of bisexuality or homosexuality? Um, I think, I think it's much, much more accepted here. I mean, Iceland had, Iceland has had massive issues with this in the past, but I mean, one thing I love about Iceland, and this is something that that I've I've loved since day one, is that I've, I noticed that that uh, pride here uh, is the is it's it's like the most celebrated day of the year. I mean, they have a massive parade that goes down the main street. It's it's huge. I mean, they get they get massive massive floats that are made. And I mean, people just flood the streets. It's like the biggest party night of uh, of the whole year. Uh, the there's uh, uh, one one bar here. Uh, uh, the the queer bar here. It's called Kiki. I mean, it is just a, a massively popular club. It's one of the only places in town that's allowed to be open later than all the other clubs. Uh, I I I mean, I. You know, it's interesting. I mean, now that I'm open about it, I don't think I would have been open about it if I was still in the States. Yeah, I I mean, I feel like, huh, I don't know. I just kind of haven't, I've just always felt that America was less accepting of it, even though, even though nowadays huh, there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more people getting involved to make, you know, to, to change that. Uh it also could be that Iceland is such a small population that word gets out a lot faster and uh, Iceland is a lot more progressive than America. I mean, I mean the, the government, for example, here, uh, I don't want to say nice things about it because it's not really the best. But at the same time, uh, I mean, it is basically the farthest right that a left party can be. I mean, they're still very liberal because they're so progressive. They want to change things and uh, they want to, they like, they want to progress with the times. So I think that's part of why Icelanders have become so much more accepting to, to, I mean, pretty much everything at the, at this point, but like everywhere, there is still, you know, there are still people that, that don't want to, don't want to accept anything. Well, you'll find that anywhere, so that's not uncommon. Of course, yeah. Uh, I heard you mention on another podcast that you checked yourself into a psych ward because you just didn't know what was going on with yourself. Right. I'm curious if there's a difference in how Iceland treats mental health versus how America treats mental health. (laughs) You know, all right, so um, I shouldn't laugh about this, but uh, I I thought that I was treated very, very well here. I mean, I I really, uh, I mean, they took me right in. Oh, they cared for me. They they fed me three times a day. Uh, I was uh, like, I mean, everything was just, it was very, very nice. But um, the more that I've looked into it and the more I've talked to people about it here, uh, the more, the more I realized how important our show is for, for this country, because uh, it's, I mean, I was treated well, but it was really only, they really only treated me until I told them that I wasn't going to kill myself. 
And as soon as I said that, they were like, all right, you're good to go. See you later. Um, so, um, and I mean, to be fair, I don't, I don't really know. There are some things I know in, about the States. I never really uh, did much about this stuff in the States, so I can't really compare much. But what I can compare is that uh, in the States specifically, I have heard way too too many stories than ever needed to be tell, told about how little is known about Tourette's syndrome. And that is, and I mean, the things that I've heard that neurologists have said to patients is atrocious. I mean, there was one, well, one person who was told that it was impossible for her daughter to have Tourette's syndrome because only men get that. I was told, uh, I heard a story that, that someone was told that they didn't have Tourette syndrome because they were never shouting out swear words. I mean, this stuff, it's just, this is, this is research from over 40 years ago that wasn't even accurate. So, so it's, it's, uh, I mean, astounding to me that it's still being, being used. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, with Iceland, the, the thing that I love about here is is the acceptance. And I think, I think that's the thing that's going to make the change in the medical world is that, that Icelanders, I mean, I mean, when we talk about this, like we've had stand-up shows that, that, you know, have, have gone well, we've had stand-up shows that haven't gone well, but we did, I mean, as soon as we did this show, I mean, our, like, uh, the second night that we, like after the, actually after the first performance we ever did with the show, uh, we had an article written about us in the news, in the news. And the second night, the room was so packed that no one else could walk in. And ever, ever since that day, every single, I would say 99% of our shows have been packed. And it's because people in this country care. It's because people want to make a difference. They want to see change. It's just uh, the problem is there's so much word about it, not enough effort from uh, you know, government and, and healthcare and stuff like that. But it, I, I think I see more of it getting better here than I do in the States. I will say that. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's unfortunate. I mean, it's, it's fortunate for you being where you're at, but it's unfortunate for everybody living in the States. Yeah. I just, well, but like I said, I didn't, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really experience the only, I mean, the only healthcare for this kind of stuff that I really experienced in the States was talking to therapists and they thought like, they always diagnosed me just, just with ADD and depression. I'm not. And then, uh, uh, one neurologist that I spoke to diagnosed me with Tourette syndrome. No, that was it. Everything else I, I learned about here. Okay. Well, I'm just glad that you could be correctly diagnosed so that you can at least know what you have and move on from there. Yeah. I just want to change the subject a little bit and talk about uh, language, if you don't mind. So you've been living in Iceland for years. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to pick up the language? And if so, was it difficult? Uh, yeah, it's massively dis difficult. Um, I mean, it's not an easy language at all. No, no, no. This is, this is one of those languages where they, where they, uh, I mean, you'll, you'll be talking about a table and you'll have like five different ways to refer to that table. I mean, it's just ridiculous, but, but I, I absolutely love the language. So I'm giving it a try. I'm, I'm really trying my hardest. I'm at, I'm at the point, the point now where I describe myself as speaking bar Icelandic. So, so like if someone comes to the bar and they order in Icelandic, I can answer them in Icelandic. I can, I can respond with everything. Uh, and I understand every word that they're saying, 
but if I were to have a conversation with someone, I well, I wouldn't get very far. Um, so, uh, but it's it's the 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 problem though is that uh, there isn't even really a push to learn the language here because everyone speaks English because there's I mean tourism is so big here and every like I mean on Netflix nothing is dubbed other than cartoons so you I mean the so everyone just learns English. They speak English. So, uh, like when I, when I was applying for jobs at bars, they, I, I said to them, I was like, I, I don't speak Icelandic and they were like, ah, don't worry about it. You won't have to. So it's, uh, so I'm, I've kind of just mostly been learning as I go along. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, so when you first moved to Iceland, you, you were working at bars specifically or. Yeah, I, I, I mean, my first job in this country was delivering newspaper. And as a person who has arthritis in my foot, that was not a smart idea. Yeah. Uh, uh, then I uh, then I got a job at a, a sports bar, and then uh, I got a, a job at another bar. And I just, I don't know, there was something about bartending that I just loved. And as soon as, uh, shortly before we opened the comedy club, I was actually talking to a couple other friends about opening a com- comedy club because, believe it or not, it's 2019. Well, it was 2018 at the time, and there was not a single comedy club ever in this country. Wow. Like, never opened. And, and uh, so that's why we well, we wanted to open it. And uh, But as soon as my, my friend Bjartney was ta- talking about, like, he got a space and he was going to open a comedy club, I went to him and I, I just said, look, I, w- I will quit my job. If I can, if I can just work here, well, like I just want to be a part of this, and uh, that's exactly what I did. I, I I left my job and I started working for for this place. Uh, I've been at it since since it opened, and and shortly after, a few months into opening it, uh, he basically made me and uh, the other the other guy who bartended. Uh, well, now we have four of us bartending, but at the time it was just two of us, and we basically all became owners of the place. You co-own the Secret Cellar, a comedy club, with a few other people. Yeah. How difficult is that to do as a foreigner? I know that uh, sometimes government regulations can make owning a business or even property more difficult for foreigners. Well, yeah. I mean, basically, as long as I as long as I have a well, like as long as I'm I'm legally living in this country with a visa, I'm I'm perfectly fine. Uh, it's just that if I like if I was living here illegally. Uh, or I didn't, I didn't like, I mean, you basically just need to make sure that you have the Icelandic equivalent of a social security number and then you're fine. Okay. So, so it was, it wasn't terribly difficult. And how difficult was it moving to Iceland as far as finding work, being legally able to work and all those things that you need to be able to do to be able to live? Uh, well, I mean, that was basically stuff that I did with my, with my wife. Uh, I, I moved here uh, with my wife and, uh, basically got the Icelandic equivalent of a green card. Um, the only difference is I have to, I had to reapply for it every year. Um, so it's, uh, so it, it, I mean, it was a, it was actually quite easy in the beginning, but every year, because there's so many, so many people moving to Iceland and trying to live in Iceland, uh, it gets harder. I, I think it gets harder every year. But it's you know it goes through every time, so I haven't worried about it. But it's it is it is very difficult for Americans. I will I will say, 
we get kind of the harshest treatment because it's so difficult for Icelanders to live in America. So, so they kind of just do the reverse uh, of that situation. So we basically have three options. It's basically, basically uh, you're sponsored through work, you're married, or you're going to school. That's basically the only three options that we have. If I was from Poland or England, I could just buy a social security number and I'd be fine. That's great to know because a lot of people don't know anything about immigrating to Iceland. It's one of those countries that people hear about, but they never think about moving there. So you're a business owner. Right. You've been living in Iceland now for several years. It's pretty safe to assume that you're not leaving anytime soon? No, I I definitely plan to stay here until I don't. I mean... I don't, I mean, I don't know. No one ever knows where they'll be in five years. I mean, but I definitely plan to stay here as long as possible. Cause I just, I mean, this is the, this is the first place I've ever lived where I felt at home. I'm not, I, I, I love, I love LA. I, I definitely do. I mean, if I, if I were to live in the States right now, I would either be in LA or Boston. I, I absolutely adore both of those places, but I, LA or Iceland is really the first place that, made me feel welcome and made me feel like I could have a life here. It really sounds like just an amazing place. I'm hoping maybe to be out there by the end of the year if I'm lucky. Ah, nice. Well, you're welcome at the club any day. Super. Uh, I hope I go. I I hope to be able to get some live comedy in my life. Yeah. Switching back to comedy for a moment, Mm -hmm. your show, The Voices in My Head Have Tourette's, what impact do you think it has with the people who come to watch your show do you think that they react better with this show than another show where it, it's not uh, built around this subject? Um, I, th- I think it. I think it depends. Um, I mean, during the show, for example, like when we perform on Thursdays, I mean, the, the crowd is with us the whole time because they they're. I mean, they're there for this kind of show. No, if they're not, I mean, they get introduced to it right away. So we we really get a lot of we get a bit of an advantage on on those on on Thursdays. Um, but, but I have noticed that when I do this stuff on other nights, like if I perform in in the show that we have on Fridays or Saturdays, for example, that's just, those are just stand up days. So if I were to talk about my my experiences with Tourette syndrome, it it doesn't get as big of a laugh as when I talk about the fact that uh, police don't carry guns here because they don't need them because we could just call their mother. It's that small of a country, uh, you know? So, I mean, that stuff really works a lot better on, on those nights. So, uh, but you know, I mean, being a comedian, uh, is a lot like being a DJ, for example, because with a DJ, I mean, you've got your list of songs you want to play, but that doesn't mean the crowd is going to get into it. So you have to be prepared to, to change things up as the crowd is changing. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, as a business owner, do you still perform most nights, or do you have a lot of other people uh, come in, like Bill Burr, like you mentioned earlier, come in and do guest shows? Um, so, yeah. So, I, I mean, I perform on pretty much any any show that I'm invited to. If if I get if I get asked to do a Friday, I'll perform on a Friday. Um, sometimes I sometimes I do take uh, like a week off and just focus on my show, um, but. I, you know, I just, I just love performing, so I'll, I'll perform whatever I can. But the way that our shows work is we basically hire the host, and the host will hire who's in their show. Um, with with Bill Burr, it was a little bit unique because uh, he was he, he was performing at the concert hall here. He was doing a big show, 
And so his idea was that he wanted to come into the club and, and just practice his material, like some of his new jokes before he performed at the, the big show. Um, so with that one, we basically said, uh, what time slot would you like? Here you go. So, I mean, on uh, on my show, for example, it was the, the first night he performed was on a Thursday, and I asked him if he'd like to headline the show. He said yes, so I gave him that spot. Uh, on the, on the, then he came back on Saturday, asked if there was a slot, and he actually performed second in the show. So you can imagine for my friend Thodotler, who had to be right after him, it was very nerve-wracking. Uh, a little but, bit, I assume. Yeah, but it was it was super fun on Sunday because he came in he came in on Thursday or on Sunday this past Sunday for the for the the last night that he performed and I mean it was just it was like an all-star cast that, that night cuz he performed uh the guy uh Joe Bartnick who opened opened for him uh for a show he performed that night right before him and then uh, Kevin Bridges was also in town, and, and Carl Spain, who opened for him, he came in and performed. Uh, and Ari Elton, who's a, a huge named comic in Iceland, he came in and performed. So we had all four of those guys on this lineup, and they just—it was just—they were a part of the show. They were not—they were not doing time before the show, not afterward. They were actually in the show, and it was—I I think that was the coolest thing I've ever gotten to experience. It, I didn't even like I didn't do well that night, but I was like, I don't even care. This is just wow. You know, I mean, getting those guys in this show was so cool. It sounds like an amazing night. Yeah, uh, there's nothing here where I am for live comedy. So I would love to catch the show. And that is one thing uh, that I will say to anyone, anyone who's listening, who is uh, either in Iceland or visiting Iceland. You never know who's going to show up at our club from now on. So I would say be there as as often as you possibly can, and you will see some great comedy no matter who is there. Can you tell us a little bit more about your club? What are your hours and what nights are you open? Yeah, so uh, so the Secret Cellar is in, in Reykjavik, Iceland, and it is open every, every night of the week, so, uh, Monday to Sunday or Sunday to Saturday, whichever calendar you go on. And we open at 7 p.m. every night, and uh, we have we have a comedy show every night of the week. They're all all in English. Uh, they are all currently free. Uh, we just want to get as many people enjoying the comedy as possible. I mean, and you got to you got to know for a country that 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 charges you to look at the most ridiculous crap, we don't charge you for our shows. So so you can come in any night of the week and see some comedy, and. Um, yeah, I I mean we have we have a whole range of comedy. Well, we've got like uh we've got comedy showcase nights. We've got My Voices Have Tourette's. We have uh, a show that uh my friend Biotney does called The Magic Viking, which is magic music and comedy. It's a uh, uh, hell of a lot of fun. We have an open mic every Wednesday. Uh and it, so we've got a, a whole ton of different kinds of shows. They're all comedy based and they're so much fun. I highly recommend every single one of them. And if anyone wants to find out any more information about the club, you can. Uh, we do have uh, a Facebook and an Instagram, uh, and we have our website. It's just thesecretseller.is, and uh, you can get a, like all all the information you need on those places. Fantastic. Well, I think we've just about come to the end of the show. Do you have any suggestions or recommendations for someone who's an expat or who's hoping to be an expat in Iceland? Um. 
Hmm. Biggest thing to be aware of is just how difficult it is to live here. Uh, the, uh, I mean, once you get a visa, this is uh, an absolute amazing place. Uh, I highly recommend it for, for everyone. Uh, but it that's the the biggest the biggest challenge is just getting that visa. Um, but uh, and also, if you are American, be aware that, that pretty much the only jobs that will be offered to you are in the service area or service industry or in hotels. Uh, but, uh, if you get past that stuff, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't think people normally associate Americans with service industry when they think about working abroad. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't really want to say anything mean about this country because I, I do love it. It's my, my home. Uh, but you know, because it's such a small population, it's always been Icelanders first. So, so like if an Icelander wants to work, for example, at, you know, a hospital, they're more likely to give an Icelander the job over an American because they want, they want, you know, their small population to be, you know, chosen first. To me, that makes sense. It's, uh, I, I do think that everyone should have the option, but at the same time, I do I mean, I do agree. If you if you if you were born in this country, you should get the first the first dibs. It completely makes sense. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about uh, where people can find you or what you're up to? Yeah. So, I mean the 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 two biggest the two biggest things that I'm working on right now are the club and my voices have Tourette's. So I would I would direct people to those places. But before anything, both of those can be searched for on Google. Uh-huh. My my voices have Tourette's. We have a Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we have a Twitter and we have a website. Uh, if you search on all the socials for My Voices Have Tourette's, you will find us. Uh, if you want to find our website, it is mvhtshow.com. Uh, that's mvht, like My Voices Have Tourette's, show.com. And uh, we did just uh, recently com- uh, do our first um, charity event. It was called Voices for Charity. We do plan on doing that again. Uh, if If anyone is interested in booking us, uh, they can contact our manager, Jessica. It's just Jessica at mvhtshow.com. Uh, we are available for, for gigs, speaking at schools, uh, performing or speaking at organizations. Anything that you want us to do, as long as as long as you're willing to uh, uh, you know, compensate us uh, for the travel uh, or you know, pay us for the gig, whatever you want to do, just speak to our manager and she will set that up. Super, and we'll have all the links to all that in the show notes on the website, the-expat.net, so they can get those anytime. Perfect. Dan, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. I can't thank you enough for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for having me. This was a really great, uh, really great interview. Thanks for listening to the Expat Podcast. If you enjoyed the show... Don't forget to leave a review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to visit us at the-expat.com. <laughs>